I just got back this week, and it was a really great time. And the number one question I've been asked since I've been back is, were you able to watch the Cavs games? And I was. I missed one. It was game five. So I saw the Cavs in the championships. You can, you can relax. Okay. Um, no, but it was a really, really, really great trip. Um, we spent uh, a number of days on the Amazon River, uh, a, a number of days in this remote village uh, in the middle of the rainforest. Uh, but most of our time was spent in the city of Makapa, which is where our missionaries Christopher and Denise are. And it's a really cool city. It's a growing city with a really growing church. And, and let me just say, I could, I could not be more proud of the work that our, our missionaries are doing. They are are really doing amazing, an amazing job. We not only got to spend time with Christopher and Denise, but, but Patty as well. And, and they all said to make sure that I tell you guys how much they appreciate uh, your support, um, both financially and, and through prayers and, and emails and, and all kinds of stuff. But they, you know, we have awesome missionaries who are doing really awesome stuff. Yeah, you can give it up for them. They're great. And, you know, we've been going through the book of Acts, and one thing you'll, you'll see as, as we look through the book of Acts is it is full of missionaries. It really is. That's why our church is so, um, so about doing missions is because we see it in the book of Acts. It's all full of people who are going to these different cities and, and villages and towns and, and sharing the gospel and, and planting churches. And that's, that's what's happening in Brazil. That's what we're doing in this church. I love it. But yeah, we've been going through this series uh, in the book of Acts and we're calling it Church in Motion because that's what it is. It's, it's the story of the church becoming the church. It's, it's, it's the church doing the things that God called it to do and, and really learning to, to be the church. And I think we're still learning, but we're, we're slow learners, but we are. This is the church in motion. And if you remember where we left off, the church was, was still in Jerusalem. It was still just one big church, and it was... Uh, uh, over 5,000 men. Anytime you, in, in ancient texts, if you read that a number of how many people are attending, pretty much across the board, it's always just the men, which is kind of a bummer. But it was uh, 5,000 men, which was most scholars believe it was well over 10,000 people in this one church. And it was, it was completely Jewish at the time. It was just the, the Jewish people who had, you know, heard of Jesus or met Jesus and converted not really converted, but just, you know, started being a follower of Jesus. And so today, the story we're going to be looking at is actually the story when the church goes from being just Jewish people to expanding to, to the rest of the world, which is a really important story. It's very important just historically, and it's important for, for us, because if you are a non-Jewish follower of Jesus, you can trace your, you know, your spiritual uh, lineage back to this story, which is really cool. So today we're going to be looking at that story, and we're going to be not only just looking at it as an historical event that was really cool, but I really believe there are some, some truths in this story that God wants to speak to us today are still very, very true and applicable for our church today in the, in the 21st century. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, or if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the sides of the stage in the center aisle. You can feel free to grab one. 
But let me just pray as you're opening up to Acts chapter 10. Lord, uh, we just invite you here, and we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're a, you're, you're a God who speaks to us, and I just ask that you open up our ears and our hearts to the words that you have to say this morning. Amen. So Acts chapter 10 starts with this man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Roman centurion, which means he was a high-ranking official in the Roman army. He oversaw over 100 men. And uh, if, if you know anything about the history, Rome was the occupying force over uh, Israel at this point. And they were a pretty dominant and, and, and brutal occupying force. There was lots of stories that you can read about really nasty things they did to the Jewish people. So there was not a, a good relationship between the Jews and the Romans. The, the Jews hated them. The Romans looked down on the Jews. And it was just a, not, a, not a really healthy dynamic going on. But this man Cornelius... Was, was a good moral man. He was a good guy. The, 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 the text tells us that he really looked after the poor and that he was what was known as a God-fearer. And what that means is at the time, a Gentile, a non-Jew, could, couldn't become a Jew. But what he could do is he could become a God-fearer, which meant that he adopted the customs and laws and, and rules of the Jewish people and, and started to worship the one true God. But he could never really officially be a Jew. So Cornelius was a God-fearer. He prayed to God. He worshipped God. Um, but he wasn't officially a Jew. And so God sends an angel to, to visit Cornelius. And he says, basically he says, God sees your good deeds. He sees the good things that you've been doing, taking care of the poor and, and, and et cetera. And, and God, you know, is very pleased. And he wants you to send for this man named Peter because Peter has something to tell you. And so, so Cornelius sends some of his men to go uh, grab Peter. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse chapter 9. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have not eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time saying, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So just a little background. This was a very confusing vision for Peter. It says a little bit later in the text that Peter had to contemplate it over and over again. He couldn't quite understand what was going on. Because in Jewish culture, what you eat was, in, was extremely important. Like there were so many dietary laws. There still is. If you're, if you're familiar with kosher law, there are so, lots of dietary rules in the, in the Jewish religion. And there, it was even... More, uh, more laws at this point. So for Peter to hear this, this, this message from the Lord to go and kill, eat, and eat whatever you want was, was like shocking. 
you know, thousands of years of these dietary laws for, for God to say, hey, don't worry about it. That was a very significant thing for Peter to hear. So what was God really saying with this vision? What was the point of, that God was trying to get across to Peter? Now, to be honest, there is a lot of debate on what the point of this vision was. There's a lot of discussion, and, and, and some people uh, will, 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 will say all kinds of things. To be honest, I, I have heard teachings on this, I've read things about this, that I think are from people who are really missing the point of the vision. See, some believers would say that the point of this vision is that we're allowed to eat bacon now. Like, we're allowed to eat whatever we want. That's the point. There's, like, we can eat lots of good stuff now. But the truth is, 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 is really, I, I don't think this vision has much to do with what we eat. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. It doesn't have much to do with what we eat. Maybe a little bit, but not much. The point's not that we can have a ham sandwich. It's not. The other misconception about this, te this text is, is some people believe that, the, that it means the law doesn't matter anymore. All the rules that we, we had in the Old Testament, they are obsolete. We, they don't matter anymore. And we can do whatever we want now. And that's not the point of this text either. That's just untrue. Um, Jesus famously says in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is not about saying, hey, there's no rules anymore. You can do whatever you want. So then what's it all about? If it's not about, you know, getting to eat pizza and shrimp and all these cool things, what is it, what is it about? So I want to look at this vision and the story and really examine four truths that God is trying to communicate to us through this story. And before we even jump into the vision, I want to, even the fact that God is giving visions to Peter and, and, and sending angels to Cornelius tells us something about who God is. It tells us that God is on a relentless pursuit for us. God is pursuing human beings. We see it that God sent this angel to Cornelius and, and, and God gives this vision to Peter, answering questions that they weren't even really asking. God was pursuing them. He wasn't just sitting back in heaven waiting for them to come ask the right thing or, or do the right thing to come to him. He was actively pursuing them. And we see this all over the book of Acts and really all throughout the Bible is God colliding with earth, breaking in and saying, I am after you guys. I am coming to you. And this is not just in the Bible. It's, it's true today. God is coming to us today. He's pursuing you. He's not waiting for you to come to him. Do you know that there's a phenomenon happening right now that is amazing? There's, there's Muslims by the thousands coming to the Lord because Jesus is appearing to them in their dreams. It's amazing. Like, there's no one telling them about Jesus. Jesus is telling them about himself and their dreams. I was reading a story about it this week. I want to read you this little thing. It says, this guy who is a, a Muslim in Pakistan, he said, One night while I was asleep, I had a horrible dream of me being taken into hell. And what I saw there brought me real fear. And these dreams kept coming to me almost every night. 
At this point, I was really wondering as to why I should be seeing hell in this manner. And then he goes on to say, Jesus appeared to him in a dream and said, Son, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you would give your life to me and follow me, I would save you from the hell that you've seen. And he says, this came as a surprise for me because I did not really know who this Jesus was. I mean, of course, he's mentioned in the Quran, but he's stated to be one of our prophets, not as a savior who could save me from hell. And this man goes on to, to, to find a church, and he gives his life to Jesus because of these dreams. And this is happening over and over again. Jesus is pursuing mankind to reconcile the world back to himself. God is pursuing you today, no matter what you have done, no matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what it feels like, God is pursuing you. That's so important for us to know. In Ezekiel chapter 34, it tells us about who God is and what he does. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. He says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. God is seeking and searching and rescuing. He's not a, a passive God who's sitting on his throne just watching how the story unfolds. He's pursuing. He's constantly pursuing you. And this is important to remember when we feel distant from him, when we feel disconnected, when we are going through trials and hard times, is to know that God is with us and pursuing us. You know, there, there have been many times in my life where it has not felt that way. I remember in my early 20s feeling like God was like a million miles away and could care less for me. But that was the furthest thing from the truth. As I look back at that time, you know, I couldn't see it then, but I see that God was, was, was so in those days. He was so doing things. He was, he was, he was, his presence was all over. But I just couldn't see it. But now as I look back, I, I realize he was doing stuff. God is constantly pursuing us, even if we're unaware of it. And this is important for us to know, just not, just not on a personal level for us, but every time we interact with someone, God is pursuing that person. God is actively trying to tell that person that he loves them. You know, when you're at the, the checkout line, the person who's, who's ringing your groceries up, God is pursuing that person. You know, when you're, you're talking to your neighbor to realize that God is working in that person's life. God is doing something, and, and for us to ask, how can I bless what you're doing in this person's life? Or your coworker? God is pursuing the entire world. He is a God who pursues us. You know, my dad talked about this, this, this week that God is on a relentless pursuit of us and all through Acts with, with the story in Paul and we just see it over and over again in the Bible. God is colliding with us and once our eyes are open to this reality, we just start seeing it everywhere. 
we start seeing, oh, I see you doing something, God. And it's exciting. In, in Brazil, this, you know, when, when I was down there, I met this guy. And we were trying to communicate, and I speak just a little bit of Portuguese, and he speak, speaks just a, a little bit of English. And we were, we were trying to talk, and somehow, kind of out of nowhere, I asked him if he can sing. I don't know why I asked him that. I said, hey, can you, are you a singer? And he said, yeah, I do sing. And I just started making jokes. I said, hey, sing, sing, me, sing me a song. And he was like, no, 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 no. And every, it became this running joke that every time I saw him, I'd say, hey, sing for me. Sing me a song. And he'd be like, no, no, no. And he was really shy. I'd be like, sing for me. No, no, no. And on the last day that we were there, he came up to me and he said, hey, I want to sing for you. And I said, oh, cool, awesome. And I was actually a little bit like, oh, this might be weird. But he was like, I, I want to sing for you. And before he sang, he, he told me a story. He said, you probably don't remember this, but three years ago I met you in another city in Brazil. And he said, I used to live in this city called Altamira, which I did visit three years ago. And he said, you prayed for me. And you didn't know me, but what you prayed over me is you said that God loves to hear me sing. God loves to hear me sing. And, and I have kind of walked away from the Lord. He got involved with some stuff he shouldn't have gotten involved with, and he felt really far away from the Lord. And he said, when I, you know, every time I said to him, sing for me, he knew it was the voice of God saying, I still love to hear you sing. And I was, uh, he, then he sang for me, and it was beautiful. I just started weeping, because I, I just realized God is relentlessly pursuing this guy. And he's somehow using me, even though I'm unaware of it. God is relentlessly pursuing people, and he wants to use us. So this is a great, this is so great that when, when we are interacting with people, when we are, you know, at work or at school, we say, God, I know you are pursuing this person. How can I be involved in that? This is at the core of the gospel message. This is the core of it, that God loves the world, the world that turned its back on him. He loves him, so he sent his son to die for him. God is reconciling the world back to himself, and he's using us. This is the gospel message. This is the mission that God is on that he's invited us to be a part of. And the next thing we see in the story, and really, this is the, the, the I think the main point of the, the vision is this, is that the gospel message is inclusive. The gospel message is for everybody. Here's what I mean. The Jewish people were, were called from, from, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you see that they were called to be a light to the world. They were called to bless the world, and for the most part, they, they really dropped the ball because they used these laws and these, these rules and these customs, like their, 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 their dietary laws of what they can eat, they used it to push people away. And they would say, not only what you eat is unclean, but if you do this, then you are unclean and you are unpure. And they, they, they would not associate with people who, who didn't follow their rules. It was against the rules for, for Jewish people to eat with someone who was not, uh, not Jewish. So the rules that may have served a purpose and they may have been good, the Jewish people used to push people away and to keep people away. 
said, we only associate with people who eat the way we do, who look the way we look, who act the way we act. And the truth is, is this started to, to infiltrate the, the, the church, too. It wasn't just the, the, the Jewish people. This started becoming a tendency within the church. And the vision that, that God gives to Peter was, was God saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Peter realizes that this vision is not really about what you eat. It's really about people. Listen to what he says in verse 28 and, and, and on. It says, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And skipping ahead to 34, it says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the ones who fear him and does what is right. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So, so this vision that Peter had of, of these, these, these foods that were unclean or, or what he thought were unclean and God says kill and eat didn't have to do with what you eat. It had to do with the fact that they were using these rules to ostracize people, to push people away. Because remember, at this point, the church was still, was still just Jewish people. And God was saying, let's expand that. Let's open up the doors to, to the Gentiles, to every tongue, tribe, and nation. The church would look at the, the Samaritans and say they are unclean. The church would look to the, the, the Gentiles and say they are unclean. But God's saying, no, don't call unclean what I have called clean. He was really addressing racist tendencies within the church. He was addressing this desire to, to separate from, from people who are different. And we read that and we think, oh, that's great. That's really good that the Jews can start accepting the Gentiles in. But let me ask you this. Let's bring it home for a minute. Are there people, are there, are there individuals, are there people groups that you look at and when you think of them, you are filled with, you know, hate and judgment? Are there people that you look at as less than, as, as impure, as unclean, as undeserving? When do you, when do you put up this first picture? Don't respond. I don't want to start a fight. <laughs> when you see this person, when you think about his followers, what goes through your mind? Do you think, ah, oh, I am, are you full of hate? Or do you think that person is, is seen by God and loved. What about the next one? Go to the next one. What about this person? Again, I, I, listen, I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm, not try, I'm saying, do you see this person and think, God loves this woman. God is pursuing this woman. She is worthy. When do you go to the next one? What about these people? What do you think of when you see these people? What do your Facebook posts say about these people? Do you look at them as unpure, as impure, as unclean? Or do you, do you look at them as people that God desperately loves and is calling into relationship with them? 
We're going to go to the next one. What about these people? What is your heart filled with when you see these people? You can take it down. It could be anyone. It could be Muslims. It could be black people. It could be white people. It could be men. It could be women. It could be old people, young people, you know, Republicans, Democrats. It could be your boss. It could be whoever. Are there people that you are pushing away that you feel are undeserving of, of God's love? And maybe you don't think about that consciously, but subconsciously you do. God is saying, my love is for all people. And what about the people that are really infringing on our rights? The people that are like trying to destroy the church? The, 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 the people that are, you know, trying to hurt us? Surely not those people, right? No, listen. The, the, the Roman people that God was really speaking to Peter about were very, very brutal towards the Jewish people and, and even more brutal towards the early church. There are stories that you can read about the Romans who would set Christians on fire to, to light their garden. Yeah, it was awful. It was evil. But God says, I love those people. Do not call them impure. Sure, I may not like what they're doing, but I love them. This is what's going on. Listen, there are people that we can say, I don't, you know, that we can think what they're doing is wrong, but God loves them. And we need to extend that love to them. God is saying, I love and value all people. There are no people in this whole world that have less value. Even if they're doing horrible things, he's saying, I love them. I remember seeing this lady one time years ago she was walking down the street, and I was driving, and she was, she was walking down the street, and she was holding her baby, and she was smoking a cigarette, and like not wearing any clothes, and I just was like, I just looked at her, and I thought, she is trash, and I felt like the Lord said, no, she is not. So clearly, the Lord spoke to me and said, you do not call her trash. I love her. I value her, and I, I am actively calling. And sure, I don't like some of the things that she's doing, but I love her, and you do not devalue her. And it was, it, I mean, it was very convicting to me. Are there people, groups, are there individuals that you look at with disdain, with, with, with judgment? I just want to say this. If you, if you are doing that, if we are doing that, that is sin. And we need to repent of that. God wants to root out racism and prejudice and sexism and, and all kinds of things within our hearts and within the church. And this is what God was doing with Peter, saying, hey, hey, you do not call the Gentiles impure. They are not impure. When I made all mankind, I said they are very good. So building off of that, this is the next thing that we see in this vision. The next thing that we see is God really is challenging Peter's view of religion. 
And we see this idea of the gospel versus religion. God is challenging Peter and challenging us today, saying, do you put your faith in the gospel? Or do you put your faith in religion? Here's what I mean. Religion means this. Let me put that up. Religion means I obey, therefore I'm accepted. It's your obedience that leads to acceptance. Here's, here's what that means. In every religion around the world, every way of thinking says that what you do, you know, if you, if you do these things, or if you avoid these things, then you can have peace, or then you can have enlightenment, or then you can have connection to God, or then you can have, you know, the ability to go to heaven, or whatever. But it says the obedience leads to that. But the gospel is very, very different. The gospel flips it on its head and says this. It says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. It says that you are loved and accepted, therefore do what I've called you to do. It's very different. See, Peter was acting like what you eat or what you do or what you, how you dress made you clean or unclean. It, made, it was what made you accepted by God. But God says, no, it's not about what you eat, Peter. In this vision, he says, it's not about what you eat. He's saying, it's not about how good you are. Peter, it's not about what you do. It's about what I did. It's about what I did. That's what makes you clean. See, remember what I was saying, in order for someone in that culture to convert to Judaism, what they had to do, or to convert to a pseudo-Judaism, was, was they had to start obeying the rules and start obeying the customs and the laws. And this, was, this is what the church started doing as well. The church was saying, hey, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to start doing these things. And, and, and God was putting a stop to it and saying, it's not about what you eat. It's not about how you dress. It's not about how you talk. It's not about what you do. It's about what I did. Now stop it, Peter. Do not call what is clean unclean. And you know what? To be honest with you, I struggle with this a lot. I struggle with holding on to religion instead of the gospel. And I think if we're honest, we would all say that we struggle with that. And I think the two main ways that that comes out is there, there are certain people who, who looked, use religion to, to kind of look down their nose at people. And they're prideful and they're arrogant and they think, get your act together. Like those people are dirty, or those people are just not as good, and they kind of become jerks, and they use religion to hold people down and just be judgmental of people within the church who are struggling, and they think, yeah, oh gosh, you're just messed up. You got to be more like me. Or you have the other end of the spectrum with the people who think, I am so messed up. I am so broken. I just keep on struggling with this. I can't get past this. And there is no way that God can really accept me or love me unless I get these things together. But don't you see, both of those people are doing the same thing. Both of those people are saying, what I do brings me into acceptance with God. 
These people are saying, I am doing enough, so God accepts me. And these people are saying, I'm not doing enough, so God doesn't accept me. But the truth is, is what we do doesn't give us acceptance. It's what he did. We need to remember that. It's what he did. God is saying, it's not about what you do, it's about what I did. Look, and I am not saying that what we do is not important. I want to make this really clear. What we do, what we say, is very important. God has called us to be righteous, to be holy, to be pure. He's given us a standard to live. And, and one thing that I hear a lot in the church is when, whenever someone challenges us to a life of holiness, we automatically say, what do we say? We say, they're legalistic. They're just being religious. You know, my dad could come to me and say, hey, I'm going to make up something, so don't read into what I'm saying. My dad could come to me and say, you know, Jay, I've noticed you have been, like, drinking a lot. And you should, you should really cut down on how much you're drinking. And I could be like, Dad, I'm under grace now. I'm forgiven. I can do it. The law, come on. You're being legalistic. Or, or a friend could come to me and say, Jay, I, I've noticed that you haven't really been coming to church. And I think it's really important that you start coming to church more. I'm like, I don't need to go to church. I'm under grace. You're being legalistic. But, but listen, that's not legalism. That's not legalism. Legalism is looking to religion. It's saying, if someone said to me, unless you go to church, God's not going to like you. Or God's going to not forgive you unless you stop drinking. That is, that's legalism. But challenging us to live a life of holiness is not legalism. Remember, the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. There's still obedience that, that God is calling us into. But it's just not what, what makes us accepted. And I love in the story, God recognizes Cornelius' good deeds. He recognizes it and he honors him and he says, good job, Cornelius. I see what you're doing. I see that you're taking care of people. He's saying, I, I, I love that. But you know what the best part about that is? Is he doesn't say to Cornelius, you're doing a great job, and there's just a couple extra things that you need to do, and then you're good. No, he says, you need to hear this message from Peter, and Peter's message is the message of the gospel, that it's not about what you do. He's saying, Cornelius, it's not just a couple more things that you need to add on until you're actually holy. He says, you need to realize it's not about what you do, Cornelius. It's about what I did. He says, you need to hear the gospel even if you're a really moral man. I love that Jesus says the same thing to Nicodemus in the, in, in the gospel of John. Nicodemus is another really moral, good man, this religious leader, and he comes to Jesus and says, you know, what do I need to do to, to, to get into heaven, basically? And Jesus doesn't say, if you just fine-tune these couple of areas, then you got it. No, he says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to, like, realize that it's not about what you do. It's about what I'm going to do for you. In Brazil, we went to this place called uh, Serra de Novio, which is this remote village in the middle of the rainforest. We had to drive six hours to get in there, and it's literally surrounded by rainforest, by, by like, the jungle. And uh, 
the reason we went there is because the church in Makapa really has a desire to plant a church there. And they have started this little Bible study with about five, I think around eight people who are going. And so we went there to see if we could bless them in one way. And one of the ideas that we had was we were going to do like a, a, a service or a conference one night. So, so the group that we were with, we had about a dozen Americans and about a dozen Brazilians who went and just started walking around the community inviting people to this, this service. Um, and we were just having fun and goofing off and just saying, come watch the Americans make fools of themselves. And, and we did. Uh, but so we were hoping to get like 20 or 30 people to come. Uh, so we get back and we, the, the event was going to start at 7.30. And it's 7.15 and like no one is there. 7.20, no one. 7.25, still completely empty. 7.30, it just starts like a swarm of people are coming in. And it's like over 70 people come. And we're like thrilled. We're super excited about this. So... You know, we played some games and sang some songs and made fools of ourselves. And then, and then I got up to, to just give like a really simple gospel message. You can put up that picture. So I get up and Denise is translating for me. And I basically say this stuff. that God loves you and, and God wants a relationship with you. And God wants to, for, you know, forgive you for, the, for your sins and just the gospel. And, you know, I, I know, like, when I give, like, a gospel message in the States, I really, I'm hoping that maybe, like, four or five people will respond and, and give their life to Jesus, and I'm thrilled, and that's awesome. And I'm hoping that maybe I can get the same thing here, but I'm not sure because I know that maybe a lot of stuff that I'm going to say is going to get lost in translation. And, and so I'm just hoping that a few people will respond. So at the end, I do the thing that you always do at church where you say, you know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, um, if, you, if you want to accept Jesus into your life, say this prayer with me. If you've never accepted Jesus, say this prayer with me. So I say this really simple prayer, and I say, if you said that prayer, raise your hand. And no joke, guys, over half of the people raise their hand. Over half the people say, hey, I want to start following Jesus today. And it was like our bus driver who drove us in there raised his hand, and one of our interpreters raised her hand. And it was like, it was amazing. And, and now, like, they have this critical mass of people. You can put up. These are the people who, who came up to the front. It's not all the people who raised their hand, but those are the people who were brave enough to come to the front who said they raised their hand. And we just bless them. And what's exciting is this is a church now. This is going to be a church now. We were doing what we see in Acts. And it's all because we, we, we presented the gospel to people. We didn't go there and say, guys, you need to start coming to a church and you need to stop doing these things and then you'll be okay. We said, Jesus loves you and Jesus wants to be a part of your life. And people responded to that. And the reason that people responded to it was not because I'm a brilliant speaker. It's not because I'm some amazing orator. I think the reason that people responded to it was for the same reason that people responded to Peter. Listen to the story. We're going to keep on reading through the 
through the, through the, the message. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. Peter came and started telling the people about the gospel. And it says, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. See, the gospel message that we have, this message that God so loves the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes will have eternal life. That message is paired with the Spirit of God. It's not necessarily about the words that we say. It is the Holy Spirit that encounters people. It's the Holy Spirit that changes people. It's the Holy Spirit that saves us. Again, it's not necessarily the words that I said or that Peter said or that you will say. It's the Holy Spirit pairing with the, with the message of the gospel. It's not that the people in the community you know, started to believe the right things. It's that they encountered the Spirit of God. That's what transforms us. John Wimber said, Modern day evangelism assumes that evangelism is content-oriented. The content is useful, but the biblical view of evangelism says that the presentation of the gospel is rational, but also transcends the rational. We are to introduce the manifest presence of God. In essence, wherever God is, the gospel needs to be preached, and wherever the gospel is preached, God needs to be. They go hand in hand. When we tell people about Jesus, we need to invite the presence of Jesus. When we invite the presence of Jesus, we need to tell people about the gospel. I love what Michael has been saying, this, this kind of battle cry that we have that, you know, we are, we are growing as a community here in Sunbury. Like, there are tons of new developments coming up. We have outlet malls and lots of, lots of growth. And, P, and, and, and Michael says, one of our greatest tools that we have is this phrase, can I pray for you? Just when we, when we interact with people saying, can I pray for you? You know, I see that, you know, you... You have a cast on. Can I pray for your leg? Can I pray for you? Expecting that the Holy Spirit is going to break in. And, and then we can tell people about how much Jesus loves them. And the truth is, is this, this idea that the Holy Spirit and the gospel go hand in hand is not just for when we come to Jesus. It's not just for, for when we first give our lives. It's the same truth for us today. That if there is sin in your life, if there, if there is struggle in your life, the way you overcome sin in your life is not by trying a lot harder. It's not. It's not by muscling through it. It just isn't. The way that you overcome sin in your life, I think the greatest tool we have is worship. When we can get our eyes off of our sin and onto Jesus, that changes us. We, we are so trained in the Western world just to focus in on what's wrong with us. And I think there's some healthy examination that we can do. But if we can get our eyes off of the problem and onto the solution, you will be shocked at the change that happens in your life. 
we focus our eyes on Jesus, we invite the Holy Spirit into our life, and he changes us from the inside out, and then we are called to obedience. The Bible over and over again talks about how us as believers are to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what, that's what enables us to do the things he's calling us to do. And the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is this ongoing filling. It's this thing that we regularly need to go to the Lord and say, I need more. I need to be filled up. God is what, 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 what enables us to do the things he's calling us to do. Because being disciples and doing these things is a big task. And we don't have what it takes to do it, but he does. And he is going to empower us to live the life he has called us to live if we focus on him. So why don't we stand? You know, typically how we end a message with ministry time is the, the speaker will have like three or four things that he feels like the, the Lord wants to do. And, and usually when I'm getting ready to preach, I'll be really asking the Lord, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And this week I just kept on feeling like the, the Lord was saying, I want you to be open. I want you to do what they were doing here in Acts and just invite my spirit and see what I do. So we're going to experiment for the, the last few minutes here and just quiet down and invite the Holy Spirit and see what he wants to do. It's kind of scary, but we're going to try it. So are you guys ready? You want to do it? Good. We're going, to, we're going to do it either way. But we're... <laughs> but Holy Spirit, just come. We recognize that your presence is already here. And we just ask you to fall. We just want to see your manifest presence here this morning. Have your way with us. God is saying to some of you this morning that you, listen to me, he's saying this to you. He's saying, God, I do not think that you are inadequate. You think that you are inadequate, but I think you are my, my beautiful masterpiece. He's saying, I love you. And you are not a piece of trash. You are mine. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God wants to break the power of fear in this room. It's fear that leads to, to our prejudice, to, to racism. It's fear that leads us to feeling inadequate. It's fear that, that makes us uh, sit and not do what the Lord has called us to do. And right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I break the power of fear. 
And I speak freedom over you right now. We speak freedom over sin, freedom over depression, freedom over fear, freedom over addiction, freedom over racism, right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, just come and and invade our hearts and take out, unroot what is not of you. Lord, we repent of not focusing on you. Lord, we repent of of putting our eyes on other things. And we say that you are king. And we will follow you. And we will not be be afraid because you are with us. I really believe that the Lord wants to start unleashing gifts over his people. There's certain people here who feel like, I am not gifted. And the Lord says, you are, in, you are extremely gifted. I have poured out my gifts all over you. So you need to hear this. If you feel like you don't know how you are gifted, you don't know where you fit in, in, in the body, God wants you to say right now that he has gifted you. But you need to step out. And God will be with you. So we break the power of fear. God says, you are gifted. You are mine. I have given you my authority. Just fall, Holy Spirit. Suddenly it's your healing this morning. Speak your truth over your sons and daughters. Well, Lord, we just, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you, you are a God that pursues us and that is speaking to us. And we pray that we don't just let this kind of thing be the thing that we do for the last 10 minutes of church, but we can do this all day. Open up our ears to hear you, Lord. Fix our eyes on you. I just speak a blessing over each and every one of you and bless what the Lord is doing in your life and, and pray that your eyes are open to the fact that he's pursuing you and he has called you and he has, he has things for you to do and the fact that he says that you are the apple of my eye. I am so proud of you. So Lord, we just, we just ask for your presence to just be with us as we leave here today. And we we do the work that you've called us to do. In your name, amen.